I use the word love probably a lot, as many of you probably do, right? We, we say things all the time, I love this, I love that, oh, I love it when that happens, or you with me, right? So far. And so I decided that this morning what I wanted to do is share with you just some things that I love, right? Because we claim to love family, places, things, food, and teams. I just picked some of my favorite things that I love. And so some of the things I love is I love my boys, right? And so uh, my boys are something. Are they things? They're things or humans that I love. And sometimes when they are your boys, right, you have kids, sometimes you love them and sometimes you really love them, right? You, you never don't love them. You just sometimes love them more than other times. And, and so I love my boys. I love airplanes. Airplanes are one of my favorite things. I nerd out when it comes to airplanes. I love airplanes. I love uh, lots of things like I, I love Tillamook cookies and cream ice cream. All right. That's if you want to find your way to my heart, there it is, all right? It's, it's all out there. I, I love the Oklahoma Sooners, all right? And, and some of you are finding your ways and following my ways, and that's good, all right? So I love the Oklahoma... Not funny to some of you this service. That's good. So I love the Oklahoma Sooners, right? I, I love awkward family photos. And sometimes when I can't sleep, I go to the website, Awkward Family Photos, and I see, you know, adoring older couple love each other with his hand around her neck. All right? With the word love behind. Um, I even put up there, I love my senior picture photo. All right? That's my senior picture photo up there. All right? Why, why in 1998 they did the up close and then made it glossy or foggy? And then you go back and you look at the yearbook, you go like, I know why now. Right? And so um, I put that up because it's an awkward family. Right? Or, or I like the photo at the bottom in the middle. You've got the one family, right? But grandma's off to the side. So clearly everybody shifted except grandma, or grandma didn't wear deodorant that day, right? There, there's something going on there. And then I love the picture on the other side, the bottom, right? Literally that person must have divorced. They just colored him out of that family photo. So, so I love awkward family photos, and that's what I do when I can't sleep. And so we say we love a lot of things, and one of the things I want to tell you today is that I love, I love my church. I love Mountain View. I love you, all right? People were commenting on my shirt today, and they're like, oh, that's bright, that's bright. Well, we needed a rose among a lot of thorns, all right? So that was the option. I, and I, I love you all. I do. I, I love I love you. And, and so I, I literally mean that. And so maybe some of you are like me, and you really do, you really do love our church. And I love our church for a lot of reasons, and I want to share three of those with you today. I'm not going to right now, but towards the end here, I'm going to share three of them. But I want to, I want to talk about the beginning of the church itself. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to work through some passages in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And this is, let me catch you up what's going on. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has appeared to over 120 people up to this point, And he's told them about what his future plans are. And so literally 40 days later, after his resurrection, Jesus is going to leave us with some final words. And, and these words are critical in Acts chapter 8, or Acts chapter 1, sorry, verse 6 through 8. This is what it says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons 
that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you've been around church long, you've heard this verse before. And it almost reminds me of our road trip, right? I told you I went on this three-week road trip with our family. And it's, it, you can hear the kids, right? Are we there yet? How much longer? We are in nowhere, right? And, and you got these phrases. I wrote about 12 of them down that our boys came up with because it wasn't just are we there yet. It was how much longer and there's nothing out here to see and we are so bored, right? <laughs> bored became the curse word in our car, all right? You use that word, we're going to give you something to do. How, school's come and how's rocket math sound, right? Oh, we want to use that word. So literally, you can almost hear this with the disciples. The disciples, they literally left everything. They left everything their whole life to follow Jesus with this understanding that Jesus was going to do something pretty remarkable, that he was going to literally free Israel from Roman oppression, that they were going to become the leading society and nation of the world, right? And so here are the disciples. They're asking, are we there yet? Is now the time? Is it happening now? Have we arrived? And they're asking this question because they want to know if now is the time that Jesus is going to be king. Is now the time that you're going to do this? You remember, they had a pretty upset because in the garden, Jesus was arrested. He was put on trial. And ultimately, Jesus was crucified. A criminal, criminal's death. Criminal's death. And the disciples thought, man, we left everything, and look what we got out of this, a dead leader. And so, to their surprise, Jesus comes back in the flesh. He rose from the dead, right? Up from the grave, he arose. I mean, you got this whole, like, seriously, this is big news for the disciples, because now, now, they can do everything that Jesus was going to do, or what they thought Jesus was going to do. And so Jesus, he gathers his boys together and essentially what he says to them is, listen, you're thinking about an earthly kingdom and I'm thinking about something entirely different than what you're thinking about. You think this world matters and it does, but I'm preparing a new one. It's as if Jesus was trying to tell his disciples what counts is not what happens in this world, but what counts is where you are going to spend eternity. That's what matters. It's as if Jesus was saying, listen, I'm going off to heaven and I'm leaving you here to tell others about me and how to follow me. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. And so here it is right here for the readers, for all of us to see that Jesus's kingdom is a little bit different and he wants his followers to go into the world, right? And tell other people about him. Oh, and by the way, in verse eight, you get this little caveat and it's this, power. Jesus is going to give his followers, what? The power to do this. The power to go into the world and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's going to give us the power to be the ones who go into the world and announce him as king. He's going to give us everything we need to accomplish it. And so there's some other things that happen. We're going to skip over some of that, but get to chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so this is kind of crazy because it's the first century, right? And in the first century Jew, to a first century Jew, the day of Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. And this was a significant day because this was the day when the farmers would literally bring in their first crop and offer their first crop to God. And they would do this for two reasons. One, to offer a blessing to God of the first crop, but then also to receive a blessing for from God for the rest of the crops that they would be taking in that season. It goes all the way back to a time when, when God freed the Israelites out of Egypt. Because 50 days after the Passover, in Exodus, Moses met God up on Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments were the way that the Israelites were going to be able to live a life so that they could receive God's blessing on their life. And so this day, this day of Pentecost, it is a huge day. It's an important day because God was sending His Holy Spirit on such an incredible day. This is the day that once once again, God would give His people what they necessarily needed to live the life, the Jesus life. And so He gave them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon thousands of people that day. And so it was this day that was so critical and so important. So let's jump down to verse 12. This is what it says. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So you got a group of people who are saying, wow, this is amazing. What does this all mean? And then you have a group of people, what does the next verse say? But others were mocking them and saying, Oh man, they broke into the new wine. They've had a little too much to drink. Right? And this is the conversation that's going on. And so since it was Pentecost, there's literally thousands and hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the place speaking all sorts of different languages. And the crowd is bewildered. They're perplexed. They're actually amazed at what's going on. But then you have the other side of the crowd who's questioning, what's happening? These guys have had too much to drink. What's going on? And to some it sounded like slurred or babbling speech from people who obviously had way too much to drink. You know what's true? It's really society's position even today. Some people look at the church and they're amazed, bewildered, perplexed, in awe. Then you have the other side of people in society today who look at the church and say, what a bunch of wackos. They're bought into something and they're just wasting their time. Man, to, to them, everything that we say sounds blurred and slurred and doesn't make a lot of sense at all to, to some. I've been thinking about this. Because I wonder if sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we've kept our appearance way too safe to look like ordinary, normal, everyday people. But the challenge in this passage for me is this question. Have I, and has Mountain View Christian Church, got enough energy and enough spirit-driven new life to make people in East County comment? To make people in East County say, what's going on there? What's going on in them? What's happening right there? Right? Uh, Has anything happened that might make people think I'm crazy? Or that you're crazy? 
Have we been a part of anything where, where God's Spirit's been working, where we are able to think deeply and respond to the deepest needs and be able to have society say, there is something different there. In other words, do we love in such a way that people think we're crazy? Do we give in such a way that people think there's something wrong with those people? Do we show compassion in such a way that people stop and say, hmm. You see, that's the question, and that's what's happening right here. I think that there's two sides of the coin, and, and that's what they're dealing with. The disciples have just received the Holy Spirit, and something is happening that makes me ask this question. Look at verse 14. It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice, and he addressed them. And he said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. I love this moment because Peter, the guy who so often got it wrong, stands up filled with the Holy Spirit, with power, right? With this power. And he's able to respond to the crowd. Verse 15, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And so he responds to him and he says, this is what's been going on. And by the way, Jesus warned all of his disciples that, listen, when you live a life for me, you will receive opposition. And when you live a life for me, it's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be challenging because you're going to go against the norm. What, what am I trying to say? What society says is right. If you do it my way, you're going to experience some trouble. You just are. And so look down at verse 22. So this, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So he says, hey, we're not doing about this. It's not about us. But I'm going to point you to the one who you know about. And he goes on, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so then you go down to verse 32, and this is what happens. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses of. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this Holy Spirit that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so literally... Peter explains what's going on, that listen, we gave up our lives a long time ago to follow Jesus, and it hasn't gone the way we expected and the way we planned, but Jesus, he was able to raise from the dead, oh yeah, the death, by the way, that you did. You did this. But God is an overcomer, and God lifted him out of the grave, and by the way, we're all witnesses because we all ate with him. We all spent time with him. We know he is alive. And there are a lot of people who have seen this and they're witnesses of it. And he is at the right hand of God right now. And if you know anything about Jewish history, that would have irritated the Jews. Because there is Jesus with authority and power. And he has given us this thing called the Holy Spirit. And what you're seeing today is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so they respond, look at verse 36. So he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from the crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And could you imagine being there? I often think if I, had a, if I could go back in time and experience anything in church history, this would be the day that I would want to see. This is the day that I, I think I'd absolutely want to see. And so the question for us is how do we move toward Jesus? And how does Jesus capture our heart? How, do we, how does he catch me, stop me, and rescue me and peter is so clear and the message of the gospel spreads across seas and mountains and plains and time where jesus is constantly calling us to turn back turn back turn away from those ways and follow his ways and do you remember those of you who are christians in this room do you remember the work that god was doing in you when you first believed do you remember Do you remember what it was like when you had a sense that something in you was calling you towards something else? When you realized it was the voice of Jesus saying, hey, come here. Come here, follow me. I mean, I can go back often. I think it's important for us sometimes to go back often and remember those moments of the journey that we were on. For some of us, we can identify a time and a place and a moment. Others of us, is like a season of life, right? Where, where sometimes we keep doing our own thing and we kept feeling God yank us back and we kept doing our own thing. Finally, we went, all right, all right. How many of you had all right moments with God? Fine, I will follow you, Yeah. It's true. And then how many of you others, it was a pretty easy journey, and you can identify a date and a time and a place where, where you finally said, yes, for me, that's it. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to remember this because what's happening is it's always happened. Jesus is calling us, right? And we get to be a part then of a movement that he started. We get to become a part of a people who claim his life and his death and his resurrection. In other words, we get to turn around, we get to be saved, be baptized, join the community of imperfect people and we get assigned a task and the task is be filled with the holy spirit receive the power to be the witnesses and continue this thing that we call the jesus way and so i don't know this there's a lot of things i don't know but because of this truth that peter preached I, i may not know what tomorrow is going to bring I may not understand what next year is going to bring. I honestly don't know how things are going to work out in the future. But because of Jesus, one thing I know for sure is I'm saved. And one thing I know for sure is no matter what happens, no matter how life goes, no matter how messed up things can get, I'm good. I'm good. And it's a comfort because of this reality that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who lived and died and rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God today and he gives me the power to continue on doing the things that he asked us to do.
And so I have to remember often that I am a turn back and be rescued by Jesus kind of person. And I have to remember often that I am a repented and baptized person who's now not living life for myself, but living life for him. And so check out what happens, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this isn't the first time you all have heard this passage. But man, this is the church. And they're the four marks of really the church. If people ask me, and often they do when they come to Mountain View, why is it you do what you do? I say, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Right? So there's teaching. Ta-da. Right? Every Sunday we gather and there's teaching. Why? Because teaching's important. And I think where no attention is given to teaching and lifelong learning, people quickly go back to their old ways and to the old way of living. And that's not good for us. These people will be shaped by the social pressures and expectations if they aren't together with us, striving to understand what God's doing in the world. And so one of the other marks that we do every single Sunday is we pass around trays. We just did this, right? And on the trays, there's this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice. And to a lot of people, by the way, it's kind of goofy. Especially if you grew up in the church just coming on the bus to like VBS or something. Some people think snack time. Right? I mean, think about it. When I first became a Christian and this tray was passed around, I thought, this is kind of weird. Why do we do it? Well, because that's what they did. They remembered all the time. Every time they were together, they remembered Jesus. They remembered Jesus. And that's our goal. That's our objective. We want to remember Jesus. And then prayer, where people neglect prayer. They forget that we are supposed to be heaven and earth people. That, that's the reality. So why do we have a prayer time? It's, it's really to help us remember that God is in control, that he's got everything in his hands, and that we are heaven and earth people. We have dual citizenship. We live in both places at the same time. And this is my question. Can you imagine the world without the church? I mean, could you really imagine the world without the church? Could you imagine the world without just astonishing teaching and, and imagine society, a common life built around shared beliefs in Jesus? I mean, could you imagine what the world would be like without the church? And I think that the church is critical, and this is why what we call love, right? This is why we do what we do. And so there's a couple of reasons that I love the church. Can I share those with you? And specifically, there's a couple of reasons that I love our church. Why I love Mountain View. And the first reason is this. I love, our, I love my church. I love Mountain View because Mountain View is not a perfect church. Mountain View is not a perfect church. Did you hear that? Here's what I love telling people. All right, and if you've been around Mountain View long, you've heard this before. I'm one lump of clay talking to a bunch of other lumps of clay. Seriously. And God, who is the perfect 
the perfect potter and the perfect designer and the perfect craftsman. He's in the business of taking all of us and working us out to be something pretty remarkable. And we just finished the series out of Philippians and we're all unfinished. But God is doing his work to bring us to completion where it will be that final product. Maybe not here on earth, but someday we will become finished, finalized, beautiful uh, out of the craftsmanship of God himself. Now in his pottery work, the only thing that gets in the way is sometimes the clay. Me and you. And sometimes we look at the potter and we go, ouch! Sometimes we look at the potter and say, stop that! Sometimes we look at the potter and say, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. I don't want to be a vase. I want to be a bowl. We do this, don't we? Because we invite God into our life. We ask him to start doing work in our life. But then he starts doing that work. And we think it's just going to be peachy king. When the reality is, the work that he's doing in me is sometimes kind of painful. And as soon as it starts getting painful, sometimes we back off and go, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I'll design myself, thank you. And so one of the things I love about Mountain View is that we believe we're imperfect people. I mean, have you ever met a perfect person? Yeah, yeah I tell people all the time, well, you know, as a church, we're not going to do much perfect because the church is all about the people. Until we have perfect people, we're not going to have a perfect church. I say this, and this is so true. The church is the only place where you get the victim and the perpetrator come into the same exact place at the same exact time looking for the same exact thing. It's the only place in society that the mess shows up at one place together. And so if you're here today, which I think you are, (laughs) welcome to the mess. Welcome to the mess. You can't pick them, and you can't lose them. Some are crazy, some are amazing. That's a song that I shared with you that I started out. And so I love Mountain View because Mountain View is not a perfect church. Another reason I love Mountain View is because Mountain View is a Jesus church. And I want you to hear this because this is my heart. I love this church because of Jesus. Mountain View Christian Church is a Jesus church. And over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he was nailed to the cross. And three days later, because of the grace of God, he rose from the dead. And he told over 120 believers to tell others about him. And Jesus started the church. And for over 2,000 years, the church has thrived. And listen, I'm not here to argue about the church or argue about church history or good times or bad times at Mountain View. I've been at Mountain View 16 years. I've, I've experienced the good and I've experienced the bad. And first service, somebody was 37 years. They're like, sit down, whippersnapper. Let me tell you about the good and the bad, right? I mean, seriously, you get involved in a church with imperfect people, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. But sometimes I get tired of arguing and debating church history and who's right, who's wrong, what happened, what what we should have done, could have done, right? All of those things. I I get tired of talking about the bad times. You know what I'm here to talk about? I want to be a church that constantly is marveling at Jesus. I want to be a church that is constantly awestruck by Jesus. I want to spend less time worrying about doing church 
and spend more time being the church. Does that make sense? There's a huge difference here because sometimes we argue and debate and we can have all sorts of different conversations and discussions about what the church should do, could have done. How about we pause? And when we gather together, we marvel at Jesus and we be awestruck by Jesus. And we become more consumed about being the church than doing church. It's one of the reasons that I love the church. I love the church for that reason. My third reason is this. One more thing. Take that back. I'm back on number two for a second. Soapbox moment. Just for one moment, okay? Jesus didn't start the church to condemn the world. You remember this? Even Jesus himself said, hey, I I didn't come. I didn't come here to condemn the world. And so I'm certain that Jesus didn't start the church to condemn the world. I believe that Jesus started the church to change the world through compassion and love. How do I know that? Because the way Jesus changed me was not by condemning me. But Jesus showed me a new way by giving me love and compassion in ways that I had never experienced before. That's what changed me. All right, now I'm off the soap. Third reason I love Mountain View. I love Mountain View because Mountain View Christian Church is partnering with God to affect life change. That's one of the reasons I love Mountain View. It just is. And unfortunately, too many Christians say, you know what, they don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You know what, it's true, it's true. It's also true that you don't have to go home every day to stay married. I don't recommend that you try it. But I guarantee you this, if you don't go home, your relationship with your spouse will start to ruin. It's just true. And so here's the point. I'm not trying to compare the two, but what I am trying to say that it is spiritually impossible to do this Christian life journey by yourself. Listen, we need each other. We need each other. That's how we affect life change because we just finally say, you know what, I can't do this by myself. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I've got Jesus, but Jesus also wanted us to do this Christian life thing together. So I love life change. Can I just tell you a couple of quick stories about life change going on right now that I've heard about? One of them is a little over a year ago, Mountain View's mission team brought on a new missionary. Their names are John and Julie, and they are missionaries in Southeast Asia. Now, that's all I can tell you with the microphone on. I can give you more information about them out in the foyer, but I can't say this on the microphone because they are in a country that is predominantly, well, it it is 90-some, 8%, something like that, Muslim. And so they could be in a lot of trouble if they were found out where they were at. Well, John and Julie, they uh, met with us over FaceTime a couple of months ago with our missions team. And it was a really cool moment because we were talking about the new work. We were trying to understand what they're doing. Since we just brought them on as new missionaries, we want to be able to express what they're doing and what's going on with all of you. And so this is one of the things that they say to us. Our ministry's changing. 
And one of the reasons their ministry is changing is because the country they're in is allowing refugees from Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan, and Pakistan to go into their country, and they're coming to their country, and they have no food, no shelter, no water, no place to have livelihood. And so John and Julie have just begun trying to show compassion and love by practically providing places for people to stay and food to eat and education for their children. And this is what I know because of the generosity of people at Mountain View, life change is happening in countries that none of us want to go on a mission trip to. All right, let me rephrase that. I'm not interested in going on a mission trip to, all right? There's a lot of places I would love to go. That's not one of them. Hey, Tom, you want to sign up? Free trip to Pakistan. I'm good. For me, all right? Now, some of you, you're like, oh, how do I sign up? I love the fact that here we are. They sent to us about a couple, and the couple is Mr. O and Mrs. U, and they live in an area where there are no believers. They've become believers, and they're facing a lot of problems. Here's a short story. She says, right now, uh, he's traveling for work. She's home with their son. She is under a lot of pressure, and she's sick. And so all of their Muslim friends and neighbors are saying, oh, shouldn't have turned to Jesus, shouldn't have turned to Jesus, right? And so John and Julie just say, man, God's doing something. Would you pray with us about what God's doing? And Mountain View is a part of life change. There's a family, a couple that I've heard about. Is Doug and Amy here? Is Doug and Amy in here right now? All right, nobody raised their hand. So no Doug and Amy today. Doug and Amy have been a part of um, our No One Left Behind ministry. And one of the ways I would describe Doug and Amy is that their lives, they're living outside, cold, wet, muddy. I mean, you think of it, right? And to where now they're, they're mostly living inside, they're clean, they're sober, they've been sober for over 90 days. And, and I love this, they were baptized at Mountain View just this past summer in June or July. And what they're doing is they're, they've received the power. And they're being witnesses to people, even the leaders of the No One Left Behind ministry, telling them how to do it. And I love stories like that. Yesterday, I was eavesdropping in the women's leadership, uh, grow group leadership training. And so I was eavesdropping and listening. And, and one of the things I loved about eavesdropping and listening was hearing stories of life change, right? And so I picked on Carol Courier. Carol, Carol Courier sits right down here, first service, all right? And Carol Courier has been at Mountain View for 37 years. And she's standing up and she was talking about how she had cancer. And through her cancer, she she lost her purpose. She didn't know what her purpose was and, and how she should serve and how she should be involved in ministry. And, and then she quoted the words that I say all the time, right? That we want to affect life change. She goes, and then I realized life changes for me too. And I went, ooh, sermon illustration right there, right? <laughs> Write this down. But Carol talked about how now she's found a new ministry and a new way to serve and that her life is becoming more and more like Jesus. I thought, that's exactly what we want. I want to also throw Kaylin Mather under the bus. May I? I didn't ask Carol for permission. I'll ask you. All right? So Kaylin stands up and she goes, well, I know a lot of you have been around where you've heard Tom say, if you're still the same spiritually that you were a year ago, you got to do something about it. Right? How many of you have heard me say that? Well, Kaylin said, I got sick and tired of him saying it. All right? <laughs> Essentially, that's not exactly what her words were. But she said, I realized my spiritual life had kind of gotten stagnant and it was time for me to do something about it 
And what I love about this story is that I illustrated is Carol had been here for 37 years. How long have you been at Mountain View, Kaylin? <laughs> Since she was nine or ten years old, and it's none of your business how many years. All right? But sometimes, sometimes we think life change is just for those new people, those brand new people who don't know Jesus and turn their life. No, life change is for all of us. And I love being a part of a church where life change breaks the generational gaps. I love being a part of a church where life change breaks through the young generation, the old generation, and everybody in between. And one of my hearts of Mountain View is that we would continue to be a Jesus church, where we would marvel at Jesus and be awestruck by Jesus, and that we would be a church that would strive to be a multi-generational church. We, we can be a church that caters just to one generation or another, but man, I want us to be a church where we can do church together regardless of what our generational gap is. I want to be a church where we're committed to life change, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. God, I love the church, and I love the church mostly because it was your idea. And I love the church because every time I gather with people like this, I marvel at how awesome you are. And I am awestruck by how generous you are by giving your one and only son, Jesus, so that we might have life. And so God, today I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for who you are and I'm so grateful for the things that you do. And I pray, Father, that you would inspire us, that you would continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would find the power to be the witnesses to the world, the light of the world, through love and compassion and through grace and mercy. God, you would give us opportunities to tell people about how great your Son is. God, I believe if we maintain our vision and our focus on you, that we can thrive through whatever trouble may be ahead because this was your idea. So today, God, we lean in that. In Jesus' name, amen.